came across a f- truly fascinating article, actually two. Sean, have you ever heard of the website Evie, E-V-I-E? It's a, f- it's a female-oriented site. I, don't, I, I assume it's liberal, but I'm not absolutely certain. E V or Evie, E-V-I-E. And it's uh, had a a very, very interesting piece. Is your health related to your political ideology? Gina Florio wrote it. I'm someone who has been on both sides. I grew up fairly conservative in a Christian home. College and graduate school were simply the machines that turned me into a leftist. I've been in the heart of academia at Harvard University, and I spent years of my life surrounded by leftists, whether it was in higher education or the newsroom of the media company where I worked. A few years ago, I had my red pill moment. I dove down the rabbit hole and completely re-educated myself on what's actually going on in the world. Today, I work in the conservative political space, and now I'm surrounded by people who have the same viewpoints as I do. Something I personally noticed after being on both sides is that liberal feminist women tend to be much unhappier and angrier than the average woman. They talk a lot about their health problems. On the other side of the coin, I've noticed that conservative women are generally happy, content ladies who are genuinely grateful for their life. A research paper last year found evidence that conservative-leaning folks have overall better health than their liberal counterparts. The researchers concluded that this was largely due to the fact that conservatives place a greater value, this is interesting, on personal responsibility than liberals do. Well, of course we do. That's why we want the government the hell out of our lives. The bigger the government, the smaller the citizen, as I said many years ago. It's now a bumper sticker. You have to take care of yourself, you have to take care of your family, you have to take care of your community. The left believes the government takes care of you, takes care of your family, and takes care of your community. You can't get more opposite views of life than that. It is interesting that the people in the personal responsibility arena, I never thought of this. It will have health consequences. Conservatives place a greater value on personal responsibility than liberals do. I just said that, so I'm just reading the lines that I highlight. Personal responsibility, hard work, and rewarding merit are driving principles in conservatism. Extreme liberals, quote-unquote, suffered from a 150% increased rate of mental illness compared to moderates. Emil O.W. Kierkegaard wrote a paper in London at the Ulster Institute for Social Research called Mental Illness and the Left. It gathered various research and confirmed what I and many others have been considering. Apparently they found that extreme liberals suffered from a 150% increased rate of mental illness compared to moderates. The studies also found there is a known strong relationship between religiosity 
and conservatism, as well as a clear connection between religiosity and both mental and physical health. Political conservatism has been found many times to be bound to longevity. I am only one person, and it may prove, it probably does prove nothing, but to speak about this one person, I am conservative and religious. I have an extraordinarily good health. It's, it's, it's a luck. But it is also a function of those two things. There's more inner peace in religious people. There's more inner peace in a conservative. When you think you're living in a society that wants to hurt you, it has bad effects. You walk around as a white individual thinking that you're the source of everybody else's problems, which is a farce. But I have come to realize you can say the most absurd things and it will be uh, it will be believed. I made a list actually. The Age of the Absurd, you should look it up. Dennis Prager, The Age of the Absurd on the Internet is a recent column. Men give birth. It is fair to allow biological men to compete in women's sports. Defund police and crime will increase. Decrease, I'm sorry. Defund police and crime will decrease. Racial segregation is anti-racist. Opposition to racial segregation is racist. Latinx or Latinx. Your race matters. Diversity and strength and the happiest countries in the world are Finland, Norway, Denmark, and Iceland. Utterly undiverse. Free speech does not allow for hate speech. You're not a human being until you're born. Capitalism is evil. And number 11, America is systemically racist. The absurd. They must have some effects on people's mental health to live in a world where you believe the absurd. Having grown up in a conservative southern town in Georgia... I saw what everyday American life was like. I lived it for 17 years. My childhood was all American, and my hometown was a fair representation of middle America. She goes on, more studies, linking leftism to depression. But we all know that. One of Prager's riddles, what do you call a happy leftist, an ex-leftist? We shall return. One eight Prager seven seven six. The Dennis Prager Show. All right, everybody. Dennis Prager here. I have noted for years that leftists are less happy than conservatives. There are unhappy conservatives. There are unhappy liberals. There are happy liberals, happy conservatives, but all leftists are unhappy. And I discovered some pieces on that in this website called Evie. So this woman is writing, she grew up Christian, then became a leftist, 
then became a conservative. Even though the small town feel was a bit boring, I saw a lot of people who simply were content with their lives. They loved their little family and were grateful for the abundance that came to them, and the majority of them were deeply religious. This kept families together and towns intact. When I was 13 years old, a close friend in my class was hit by a car and died. It was a devastating moment for us. I watched the religious communities rally around this family right away. They were the glue that held our small town together during that tragedy. When I compare that to all the modern feminists I used to work with and hang out with, the difference is glaringly obvious. These women were angry. They hated men. Many of them were overweight and had bad skin, and they were always finding something to complain about. Even more, nearly all of them were admittedly struggling with some kind of mental illness. Whether it was acute anxiety, bipolar disorder, or clinical depression, many of them, I want to make sure, yes, right, many of them would identify as liberals and seem very aware of their privilege in other respects, but appear to have no sympathy for women who fed their children differently. Okay, that's uh, that's from a sub. Sorry, folks. My apologies. So that that was one piece about mental illness, unhappiness. There was another one in Evie. Over 50% of liberal white women under 30 have a mental health issue. Are we worried yet? A 2020 Pew Research study reveals that over half of white liberal women have been diagnosed with a mental health condition at some point. Does this mean there's a correlation between progressive ideas and mental health? What if it was once a cheap shot or a personal insult? What if what was once a cheap shot or a personal insult, has actually been found to bear scientific correlation between the individuals who hold progressive ideologies and an increased risk of mental illness. That's exactly what Pew Research has found, and all politics aside, the shocking diagnosis of over 50% of liberal women with some form of mental health Medical diagnosis is a public health concern that no one seems to be discussing. Well, I have been discussing that because the correlation between leftism and unhappiness is a very important one. Remember I have asked often, do the unhappy gravitate to the left or does the left make you unhappy? And the answer is both. The study, which examined white liberals, moderates, and conservatives, both male and female, found that conservatives were far less likely to be diagnosed with mental health issues than those who identified as either liberal or even very liberal. What's more, white women suffered the worst of all. White women, ages 18 to 29, who identified as liberal, were given a mental health diagnosis from medical professionals at a rate of 56.3% as compared to 28.4% in moderates and 27.3% in conservatives. So it isn't that you're conservative and you're mentally happier and healthier. It is that you're not a leftist because the moderates and the conservatives had essentially the same data, same statistic, to the extent that those statistics are reliable. 
progressivism demands equality for all and keeps score to an exhausting, unsustainable degree. There's also the unrelenting focus on oppression, verbal violence, and microaggressions. We know that building resiliency against hardship is the best weapon against depression and anxiety. Hear that? That's correct. That's why I have a happiness hour. That's why I speak about building resiliency so often. On a personal note, I was told by Dr. Stephen Marmer, the UCLA psychiatrist who comes on the happiness hour periodically, when we were discussing handling pain, he said something to me either on the air or off the air, which had a deep impact on my self-perception. And he said, Dennis, you have very strong shock absorbers. And that's, that's right, I thought. That's exactly what I have. I, I have them, and I've developed them. Everybody needs shock absorbers because life has shocks. Building resiliency against hardship is the best weapon against depression and anxiety, yet progressive ideology forces its followers to wallow in feelings of helplessness and victimhood. Instead of empowering women and minorities with self-knowledge, strength of character, and resilience to hardship, progressivism encourages victims to stay in a place of fear and helplessness. It's not just significant that the women suffering from mental health issues are white, but especially that they're so young. The age range of those most affected was 18 to 29. There's another factor, the fear factor, no pun intended. Why do you assume that the great majority of people still wearing masks are liberal? or leftist. Why do you assume that? Why were conservatives anti-mask to a much greater extent than people on the left? And the answer is fear. And you cannot be happy if you walk around in fear. It's all rooted in fear, the left. Fear of life and fear of death. But both, not just fear of death, fear of life. 1-8 Prager, 776, we continue. The Dennis Prager Show. Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager with you. The unhappiness issue is gigantic. When I say at the beginning of virtually every happiness hour, which I've now been doing for 23 years, every Friday that I broadcast, which is about 48 Fridays a year, the happy make the world better, the unhappy make it worse. These are not throwaway lines. I say them in a cute way, but they are entirely literally meant. If everybody were happy, there would be no left. There would be liberals, there would be conservatives, there would be no leftists. The best answer to leftism is happiness.
Hello, my friends. I'm Dennis Prager. You want to understand the time in which we live? I'd like to offer you a thought that I've expressed many times, but I, I'm going to express it in a in a new way. Thanks to a book I'm reading by Oz Guinness. It's called the Magna Carta. What is it of 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 you? I got to get the name for you. In fact, I will be with him all of next week in Florida. I will be broadcasting from Florida next week, but I'm there all week, and it is a something I'll talk to you about later. Jordan Peterson is organizing it for Daily Wire. About six of us, with him, Ben Shapiro, myself, Oz Guinness, two or three others from England and Canada, just doing the book of Exodus. As you know, I have a statement about my 40 years of broadcasting 40 years, actually in two weeks. Now, that's a celebration. It's hard to believe. Any 40-year period is hard to believe. I could even talk to you about the number 40, and I might for a moment, but I have always summarized the essence of what I have done and do and intend to continue doing as what are the consequences of secularism. That has been the theme, the disastrous, human-crushing consequences of of an entirely secular worldview that has taken over all the totalitarianisms of the 20th century, which destroyed a billion lives, murdered a hundred million people, tortured God knows how many. humbled and humiliated people. They were all secular. Religion has done damage, but religion is like water. It drowns people, but it is also the necessity of life. And he puts it as what is happening now is the battle between Paris and Sinai. I love it. I just love it. That is right. That is the battle, in a nutshell, in the United States and the Western world today, battle between Sinai, the place of liberation of the Israelites, the Jews, the Hebrews, whichever term you wish, and the receiving of the law, the Ten Commandments. You want to be free, control yourself. In, in, in a sentence, that is the motto of Sinai. Even if you're free of a pharaoh, even if you are free of an external slave master, you are not free until you are free from internal slave masters. The French Revolution undid all that. The French Revolution was anti-Sinai, anti-religious, The American Revolution was founded on religion. 
the know-nothings who tell us, well, what are you talking about? It was Jefferson who said separation of church and state. They are truly know-nothings. They have, they're either know-nothings or liars. I give them the benefit of the doubt that they are know-nothings. First, the phrase never made it in, into any official document. Secondly, it was just in one letter written by Thomas Jefferson, and it was about giving religious people freedom from the government, not the giving the government freedom from religion. But other than that, well, there is no other than that. The, the amount, the number of conservatives who believe in secularism is a big part of the problem. Many of these are wonderful people and great allies in fighting for liberty in America. But, but ultimately, their doctrines cannot survive, cannot prevail. Paris gave us the French Revolution. The French Revolution was rooted in the Enlightenment, not in Sinai. And of course, if you went to school, you regard the Enlightenment as the pinnacle of human moral and intellectual achievement. And it did some good things. Almost nothing does only bad things. It did some good. But it turns out that the heirs of the Enlightenment are the people who tell you that there are more than two sexes, or genders as they have put it. It's a phenomenon, this two-gender, more than two-gender, this non-binary idea. It's, it's really a phenomenon if it's scientific that there are more than two genders, or sexes, as it should be called, why did scientists not know this until about 10 years ago? Why is this just discovered? Were all the scientists, all the anthropologists, all the students of humanity morons? They didn't pick up on what is so obviously basic that, quote-unquote, sexual identity is a continuum? And I'm supposed to believe that? You have undone all of science since science was invented or discovered, and I'm supposed to take your word for it? A professor of gender studies at Dartmouth? I thought you'd want to know what the battle was about, Sinai versus Paris. American Revolution led to liberty, the French Revolution led to tyranny. Russian Revolution led to tyranny. The Nazi Revolution led to tyranny. Chinese Revolution led to tyranny. Sinai led to liberty. But you people have been brainwashed into thinking that religion is for the dummy. The non-dummy believes there are more than two sexes, that men menstruate. That's what the non-dummy believes. Did you know that the NCAA, yes, the NCAA, the governing board of sports in colleges, has nominated Leah Thomas, a biological male who cheated his or her way into victory over women in women's swimming at the University of Pennsylvania. 
for the Women's Athlete of the Year. That is how bad and sick everything, everything associated with our universities is, from sports to academics. University of Pennsylvania, another wasteland, another farce in the name of university, has celebrated and I think nominated her. Leah Thomas for Women's Athlete of the Year, despite the fact that their own female swimmers lost to Leah Thomas. Because Leah Thomas is is a little-nothing cheat. That's all Leah Thomas is. And all of her or his supporters celebrate cheating. Because Sinai is a farce. Feelings, uber alles. I wrote years ago, many years ago, we live in the age of feelings. You have now lived to see its consequence. If you feel you're a woman, you're a woman. If you feel you're a man, you're a man. It's not that you feel you're a man or feel you're a woman. You are objectively such. The complete denunciation of truth and reality. And you're called a hater for saying the obvious. The emperor is naked. You must hate the emperor. So that's a little summation of the point in time in which we find ourselves. The French Revolution versus the Sinai Revolution. Pick one, my friends. We know where each leads. 1-8 Prager 776. I'm Dennis Prager. The Dennis Prager Show. Hello, everybody. In light of what I was just talking to you about, Sinai versus Paris, the Sinai Revolution, Sinai Outlook on Life versus the Russian Revolution, excuse me, the French Revolutions. The French Revolutionaries, which is the Democratic Party, more and more power to government, more and more talk about equity. This is a very scary headline, and I don't get scared much. Washington Post, spokesperson for the left. Biden could declare climate emergency as soon as this week. A major reason, if not the major reason, for the price of energy, that is, to fill up your car, etc., is because Joe Biden and, and the crackpots of the environmentalist movement, rich, white, bored, secular people, that is who comprise the environmentalist movement. It's funny that I'm saying white because it usually doesn't matter, but in this case, it's overwhelmingly. And they're overwhelmingly wealthy, like Tom Steyer and the others, and they're bored. They have no meaning in their lives, so they must invent a meaning. Saving the planet from global warming, you can't get more meaning than that. I'm saving the planet. At the expense of people's ability to eat around the world, because they have no energy, 
at the expense of vast numbers of people in the third world dying because of the pollution from indoor heating and cooking. But they don't care about these people. You see the riots in Sri Lanka? You know why? Because of environmentalist a-holes, which is a redundant phrase. The environmentalist movement is sick. It is sick, and it's a lie because it, it refuses to endorse nuclear power. They don't give a damn about what they claim to give a damn about. If they did, they would be pro-nuclear power. France gets 60, 60% of its electricity from nuclear power. We're going to fly airplanes on, on wind power? On, on electric batteries, you know how electric batteries are made? See our video on electric batteries, on electric cars. See how lithium is, is used, what it does, where it's mined, and then tell me that the electric car is really, really environmentally wonderful, a gift. It's a gift to China. A new emergency. We just had an emergency of lockdown. That's what they live for, these people on the left. To lock you down, to control you. The fact that you are free, that you will ride in a car on your own and live where you wish to live in a house as big as you want. This bothers people on the left. The smaller your house, the happier they are. The less you drive, the happier they are. Get into a train, you sheep. The car is the symbol of independence, loathed by the left, which is always, always totalitarian. A state of climate emergency. It's up there with men menstruate. So what will they do? All these emergencies? Uh, They all do the same thing. They control more of life in America. White House officials are scrambling to advance the president's environmental agenda agenda after talks with Senator Joe Manchin the third stalled. President Biden is considering declaring a national climate emergency as soon as this week, according to three people familiar with the matter. The potential move comes days after Senator Joe Manchin told Democratic leaders he does not support his party's efforts to advance a sprawling economic package. That includes billions of dollars to address global warming. More billions to be printed and make your dollar worthless. Those of you who are retired and vote Democrat, you're stupid. Sorry, you may be nice, kind, generous, loyal, every wonderful thing, but you're stupid for voting for the party that is ruining your savings, your life savings is becoming monopoly money, thanks to the Democratic Party, the arm of the left. And it will be more. There's always a reason. And there's the big one. This is all an excuse to control your life. The whole environmentalist movement has become an excuse to control your life. If the emergency is invoked, it can empower the Biden administration in its efforts to reduce carbon emissions. What does that mean? What does that mean? The government will control more of my life? It will tell me how many miles I could drive? Every single environmentalist who is, uh, who is on the green edge of, of the environmentalist movement would like to 
monitor how many miles you drive. In anticipation of a potential announcement, Biden is set to travel to Somerset, Massachusetts to deliver a speech on climate change on Wednesday. That's tomorrow. The president intends to speak on, quote, tackling the climate crisis and seizing the opportunity of a clean energy future to create jobs. God, did they lie. And lower costs for families. Oh, my God. It will lower costs. Tell me a country where people have lower costs because of going to wind and solar. Tell me one country. Germany, Sri Lanka, Ghana. Name me a country where this gigantic lie of Biden and every single spokesman for him, like the New York Times and Washington Post, and of course what your kids get in school, it's a gigantic lie. We will lower costs. Lower costs. The lowest cost is gasoline from from fossil fuel. That's a fact. This is a very scary thing state of emergency. This is a new thing. States of emergencies to control our lives. But the whole media is for it. Except talk radio and some others. We'll be back. For decades now, I've had Michael Fomento on the show. Michael Fomento is what we call an outlier. Not all outliers are right, but all good and truth comes from outliers. The herd lies and the herd destroys. Outliers are the only people who have the courage to say things that are true. And even if they're not always right, and nobody is always right, they're far more right than the herd, which has certainly been true now. It was true during the claim that AIDS was an equal opportunity killer, an equal opportunity meaning hitting heterosexual men and women as much as homosexual or gay men. It was overwhelmingly IV drug users and their partners and gay men and their partners. This is not an attack on gay men. Saying it is an attack on liars who denied it like Time and Newsweek at the time, showing a heterosexual woman on the cover. One of them did. I don't remember which. And that was an example of a typical victim of AIDS. The latest now is the latest thing for you to be scared about is monkeypox. And I have Michael Fomento on the line, I never know where Michael is. He's always in a different country. <laughs> Am I allowed to ask you, Michael, where you are now, or is that uh, a secret? Yeah, it's uh, it's the place where the uh, movie and the TV shows Fargo was not filmed. <laughs> in other words, I'm in Fargo. <laughs> it was filmed in uh, Minnesota and Canada, but uh, they like the name. Yes, I'm in Fargo. You're in Fargo. All right. Last time I spoke to you, you were in, I think, South America or, or Central America. Anyway, good to talk. The Philippines, talk. actually. You're, you just made your point. <laughs> it was the Philippines? Yes. Oh, that is hilarious. 
Yeah, that did make my point. That's true. All right, so Michael, uh, give us a little background, a brief synopsis of what is claimed with regard to monkeypox. Well, the truth of it is, this is definitely unusual. This, this is an outbreak. There's no doubt about it. Monkeypox historically has been a disease not just of sub-Saharan Africa, but really just a, a small cluster of countries in west-central Africa. I'm looking at a map right now. So what we're seeing is here that we've apparently never seen before is we're seeing cases all the way from Australia on one side of my Mercator projection to the United States and Canada and Latin America on the other side. And Europe has the actual biggest cluster, the most cases right now is in Spain. The UK has a large number of cases. We've never seen this before. And so, yes, there is something exceptional going on. There's no doubt about it. How dangerous is it? That's the good news, Dennis. It appears that, again, outside of that cluster in sub-Saharan West Central Africa, there have been zero deaths from monkeypox, which is, a, for, the, for the mathematically challenged, that's the mortality rate of 0.00%. It can't be better than that. So, so the obvious question then is, if nobody has been dying from it, why is it even in the news? Well, one reason is that people have gotten sick and tired of hearing about COVID. <laughs> um, sorry to be so cynical sounding, but you're as cynical as I am. So, <laughs> you know, they have to have something, right? Um, I, I think there's the very name monkeypox. That's, you know, kind of attention grabbing. And, again, this is new. And, you know, new always grabs people. Uh, it doesn't have to, to have a high mortality rate or anything like that. It's, um, it's out of Africa, and that always gives something a special allure. Um, but you're still, you're not, for all the attention, you're not getting the truth again that probably most of your audience thought that there's been not too many deaths, but there have been some deaths outside of Africa. And no, we found zero. And here we go again, getting in trouble. This is primarily a disease of gay men. So I looked up, I'm going to get to the gay men issue in a moment. The uh, I'm looking up something called, uh, uh, well, I'll tell you exactly how I got to it. Well, just now I typed in death rate monkeypox. So this is from monkeypox facts, mortality rate, vaccine eligibility from verifythis.com. I'm not familiar with the site. And monkeypox symptoms usually last between two and four weeks, and the mortality rate is 3 to 6%. So why do they write that if it's 0%? That's old. That's the mortality rate from Africa. So even in Africa, it's not... Uh, and let's compare it to its cousin, uh, which has a similar name, smallpox. Smallpox has a mortality rate of about 30, 
and even if you survive smallpox, you usually have those horrible, horrible scars, uh, usually on the face, whereas monkeypox tends not to leave any scars whatsoever. So monkeypox was a real terror, um, but, but this is not monkeypox. Uh, that mortality rate is 100% from Africa. So why that doesn't make sense to me? Why would Africans die from the exact same disease that non-Africans would not die from? Apparently, it's just poor health care, and you know that's that's an advantage I have, and in, in that every time we talk, it seems like I'm in a different country. I have that advantage of being able to see different. All right, we'll be back in a moment. I'm speaking with Michael Fomento. Hi everybody, Dennis Prager here. Hope you'll see my column today. Tuesday is my column day. It's about the banner that I, I think I mentioned on the show yesterday. Banner, at the Church of the Covenant in Boston, and it's titled "God Said," and it's got a series of woke statements. God is woke. The antithesis of biblical values is proclaimed as biblical. Imagine if a conservative church had a banner in the front, said God said, and then listed conservative positions, the mockery. What do you what did God communicate to you guys? But God communicates to leftists. You didn't know that. My column is at DennisPrager.com and TownHall.com. And, in the course of the week, migrates to the Daily Wire, American Greatness, Jewish World Review, and many other sites. Writing a column is an example of the power of routine, of doing something regularly, and that is what enables you to produce something in life. There are now 1,000 columns of mine on the Internet. If you told me to write 1,000 columns, I would, I would think you're out of your mind. And everyone takes a lot of thought and work. But if you do it once a week, over a lifetime it accumulates. Last hour, if you uh, were not on board, spoke about monkeypox. World Health Organization reported 99% of those who get it are male. The vast majority of them, this is World Health Organization, are those who engage in male-to-male sexual activity. But it, we don't know exactly why. We knew why in the case of excuse me, in the case of AIDS, why it was overwhelmingly gay men and intravenous drug users and their partners. But apparently, we don't yet know why it is true for male to male sexual intimacy. But given the health care in the West. You don't have, you really don't have to worry about dying from monkeypox. The third hour on the Tuesday show every week is the Ultimate Issues Hour. You, you might say that a major reason for the crisis in America of truth, of values, 
is that there are no ultimate issues hours anymore. There were all of my life, because I had a religious education, we mostly talked about ultimate issues. The meaning of life, is there a God, what is good and evil, what is purpose, and uh, that is completely lacking in college, in high school, and in elementary school. So, this is the Ultimate Issues Hour. On occasion, I have a guest. I've had this man on before. He's a delight. He's a treasure trove of knowledge. And he is a pursuer of wisdom, despite the fact that he is a professor. The, they're usually mutually exclusive, but not in his case. He's actually a distinguished professor of physics at the University of California, San Diego, Brian Keating. And... Professor Keating, welcome to the Ultimate Issues Hour. Great to be back with you, Dennis. Thank you. The reason that I invited you on, aside from I'm selfish and it's just fun to talk to you, putting my selfishness aside, is I have been mesmerized by this new telescope and how far into the universe it sees So let's get a few facts, and then I'll ask you some questions. So this is the James James Webb Telescope. Is that the name? Yeah, it's called the James Webb Space Telescope, known by a winsome acronym, JWST. Yeah, everybody knows that. So how – let me understand just, just the facts, as they used to say on Dragnet, just the facts, please. How far into the, uh, I guess, into space, is it where it's taking its pictures? Well, it is located a million miles from the Earth, and it has a camera that um, is not quite as powerful as the new Fuji camera you talked about last week. So actually, NASA NASA contacted me to ask you if they can borrow (laughs) the EPST, the Dennis Prager Space. That's right. So I'm just curious, why is it a million miles into space advantageous over 500,000 miles into space? Well, there aren't that many options when it comes to space. So you, what you need for a telescope is to be in orbit. When something's in space, it's in orbit around something. So the, the Hubble Space Telescope was in orbit around the Earth. It was in what's called low Earth orbit, which means it's only 250 miles above the Earth's surface. And that was done in particular to make sure they could service the telescope. And I don't know if you remember back in 1990, right after it launched, it had some uh, right. it had some stigmatism, and it actually did need to be repaired, or else it would have been, you know, a billion dollar uh, waste of money. Uh, but it was repaired, and it did phenomenal work for now 32 years, uh, and it's been returning this information. Now, the problem with that is that it's in low Earth orbit, meaning that it goes around the Earth every 90 minutes. Uh, So the space station, anything in low Earth orbit takes only 90 minutes to whip around the Earth. And so in that sense, it's in either the Earth light or the sunlight 45 minutes out of every 90-minute period. So it actually has what we call a duty cycle of how much it's actually taking data that's not as high as desired. Now, the Webb telescope uh, also needed to be farther away from the Earth because the Earth is also a great source of heat. And that source of heat contaminates what the main signals that the Webb Space Telescope is looking for. It's not looking for light, necessarily. 
it's looking for a, a form of light called infrared radiation, which goes by the other name of heat. So it's basically, it has to be as cold as possible. Now, to go to some place that can orbit in a stable place for decades at a time, there are only about five or so different options that are convenient for a space telescope to be located. And one of them happens to be located at what's called the L2 Lagrange point, which is a million miles from the Earth. So it's beyond the moon's orbit by four times the distance to the Earth to the moon. So this telescope is quite far away. So there is no, to answer your question, there is no really stable orbit at half a million miles. Uh, and it wouldn't be that much more beneficial compared to a million miles. Uh, and so all these reasons ca uh, cause them to put this telescope in, in this particular why, orbit. Why, uh, I, I know nothing about telescopes, but I know something about cameras. It, it's so cold a million miles from Earth. How does the camera operate? Well, that's the idea. So it has to be cold. So when you go into a, a dark movie theater and you come out, uh, your eyes are blinded. Even when it's at night, your eyes get what's called dark adapted. In this case, the telescope wants to see not light, but heat. So it has to get cold adapted. So the more cold it can be, the better. And so for that reason, this telescope is actually cooled to just a few degrees above what's called absolute zero. So it's it's almost 400 degrees below zero Fahrenheit. And, and, and that's where the how, how does it operate? So it's not so take, wait, 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 forgive me. Is If it's looking for heat, or is it still a camera or is it a heat uh, assessor? No, it's it's basically like an infrared camera. So there are these apps right. you can okay. get. For, I know I'm interrupting, but only because I, 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 each point needs to be clear to me. I don't understand how a camera can operate at 350 degrees below zero. Okay. So, and it's fine to interrupt, Dennis. You get extra credit in my class for class participation. There you, you can go. even record. You can Thank even you. record my lectures. I let my students record my lectures. Okay, anyway, the camera is by design. It has technology called silicon camera technology that works better. These detect these these detector Amazing. pixels Amazing. work better when they're cold, hmm. not worse. Wow. Okay. So the gamble is in sending it to an ideal location to 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 get these photos this far back in the universe's history, which is of course what I want to talk about a lot, but the gamble is we can't repair it. Exactly. And it was recently, so this telescope not only had to go to this distant vantage point, Dennis, it had to assemble itself. It had to put back together what was uh, too large to fit inside the rocket. So the, the telescope is 20 feet in diameter, but the rocket's only about 15 feet in diameter. Wow. So how do you get a 20-foot uh, you know, peg wow. in a 15-foot hole? So they made it assemble itself like origami in space. So it couldn't be repaired or even uh, assembled by astronauts. And we and there is no remote control. No, it's a hundred percent remote control. It's oh, it is remote, even even yeah. though it's a million miles away. Yeah, that's not that far. I mean, the sun is ninety three million miles. Yeah, but we away. don't we don't control it. <laughs> well, no, we we do send spacecraft there, and and we we haven't spent astronauts there yet. But there's a plan to do it at night. In a little while. I know. I I knew the at night line was coming. I was prepared to say it. <laughs> oh, my, my dad jokes. You, you yes, can't trump me right. with your granddad jokes. No, no, no. Jokes. It's exactly right. So, are are you? Uh, are, by you, I mean the the astron the astronomy community. Are you pleasantly surprised at how well this is working? 
Oh, yeah. This has uh, really exceeded all expectations. Uh, if you're watching on video, which you can watch at Salem News Channel, that's how I watch Dennis every day. Uh, I'm showing a video of some of the first images, which comes from my YouTube channel. And my YouTube channel uh, did a special episode about this very uh, discovery and the images that it took. And these images are noteworthy, Dennis, for many reasons, one of which is that they are both scientifically interesting chock full of data, but they also have tremendous visual. Oh, uh, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Yeah. That's the one, the ridges that, that you just showed. Yes. Uh, it shows you how interested I am in this, that I knew that. Uh, you, uh, you even learned redshift in my first book, Dennis. My second book, you learned right. about blue shift, and now you're learning about cosmic clips. Uh, I'm too blessed. Uh, thank you. Yes, I'm. I'm. I'm the non-distinguished professor of, of <laughs> physics. So, when I see those photos, aren't they artificially colored? Yeah, but all your all your cameras, your Fuji Pixel one, they're all artificially colored. The way these things work is you have just basically a white light sensor, and then in front of each camera, each pixel is are three different filters, three different colored filters. I happen to have one that's neutral. It's called neutral density in front of me and uh one has a little shut in front that filters out so you get r g and b red green, and blue and then the computer inside the camera or on your computer processes it and interprets it as if it would be what you can see but none of these wavelengths are visible to the human eye they're all much much longer than we could possibly see, uh, with I see. Our- all right back with professor keating brian keating is a distinguished professor it's not an adjective I made up. It's part of his title, Distinguished Professor of Physics. University of California, San Diego. So I asked you if this telescope peering into the truly earliest part of the universe we've ever seen and giving more affirmation that there was a Big Bang, does that do you think move any of your colleagues to even meditate on the notion that there's a creator? Uh, I'm going to answer your question, Dennis. I'm not trying to be evasive, but I've always wanted to ask you kind of the inverse of that question. So if you'll permit me, do you think that these images, I'm showing them now from my website, briankating.com slash list, um, do you think they'll convince religiously affiliated people to take science more seriously? Well, you know how religious I am and how God-centered I try to be. And I take, look, the fact that I'm having the whole hour with you shows, I I take it seriously. What I don't take seriously is the notion that science will teach me good and evil or or meaning. I I agree. I think, though, that, Dennis, that this should be a vehicle to science because I think you know, it says, heavens proclaim the wisdom of God. Right, That's, right. It also says, Dennis, it also says, to, as you know, um, Abraham, and, and you know better than anybody, I learned this from you, Hebrew has a command form. God tells Abraham, go and count the stars. Now, I take that personally in my life hmm. as a commandment to do what I do hmm. to get more appreciation for the works of the Creator mm-hmm. by studying His handiwork, which hmm. to me is what I do. So... Do I care that somebody else doesn't have a belief in God who's an atheist? I, I'm not going to try to convince them. But why, why waste my time with those people, Dennis? Why not start with people like your listeners and say, look, if you want to deepen your amuna, your faith, 
your tenacity of your belief in the existential uh, existence to be repetitive of the ultimate being, then study sign. It's the only language that we get that he speaks that we can speak. Dennis. We don't speak whatever language, other language God speaks other than math and science. So I, I encourage your math, and science and Bach. <laughs> yeah, and music, right? Yeah. I mean, you could ask, why did God make so many colors? Why did he make I, infrared? I what, couldn't, what, right. What this galaxy, Stefan's quintet that I'm showing behind me in the video, what does that have to do with daily life on Earth? No, it's about more than that. BrianKeating.com slash list. He's a special man, my friends. Brian, this was a joy. It went too fast. Yeah. Love you, Dennis. Thank you. It's mutual. The Dennis Prager Show, live from the Relief Factor Pain-Free Studio. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com.